With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. It is the weekend uh, coming up. There's going to be a bit of an update on Anfield Rap stuff. That is to come very, very soon indeed. I've got Rebecca Knight talking about Frank Lampard. I've got David Mooney on how Manchester City had been quiet until they exploded into action with two transfers overnight, uh, as it seems. Uh, I've got Alison McGovern throughout the show, but also having a chat about the Women's World Cup representation and all of that sort of thing. And we're going to go on in part five to have a chat about footballers and social media and community and how that shifted. And it also allows me to remember Neil Jones's finest moment, uh, his terrific tweet about his house being on fire. Uh, but we will start off with Solskjaer to Manchester United, Lampard to Chelsea, and then ask the question about... Gerard to Liverpool. I've got San Shetty, Neil Jones has mentioned, and Alison McGovern has mentioned. Um, Neil, at some point, Jurgen Klopp won't be Liverpool manager. There was the contract story from earlier in the summer. And it seems like the club will be aware of that reality. No one's daft, no one's soft, and legacy building is a thing. And the question is when Liverpool are doing that or if they're even doing that now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think the good news on that, point is that a club's contract runs for a while yet you know three more years uh, after this this summer it also I think he's he's a type of person that is close enough with the key people at the club where I don't think it would be a bombshell announcement from Jurgen Klopp that yeah. he just sort of I don't think we'd see a Shankly style departure from him where nobody saw it coming I think he'd give he'd give notice almost then he'd, he'd allow he'd probably help with the succession plan I, I imagine to be close enough to Mike Gordon and people like that to, to get involved in that the Gerard, the Gerard angle is is one that's going to be there as long as he's not completely flunking it up in uh, up in Scotland and or wherever he is wherever he is yeah I mean I know he was linked with Derby in this, this summer he's, I think he's been in the Newcastle shortlist as well wouldn't surprise you um, it'll be a big it'll be a big decision for him to take another Premier League job I think because you know the Premier League is so tribal and so brutal at times that if if it went wrong I mean you can be sacked in the Premier League inside two months three months and if if that happens to Steven Gerrard okay it won't it won't dim his his light with Liverpool fans but it will also you'll certainly add some question marks around around that idea and I think Rangers was the perfect job for him in that sense because you can you can succeed without succeeding at Rangers at the moment because the gap was so big to Celtic and the, the expectation is not that you're going to topple Celtic. So he's done okay in his first season. could say he's done well in his first season, really. Closed the gap, he beat them a couple of times. But it'll be interesting to see how he, uh, how he continues that, that progression, if you like. There is, Alison, always in football, the... The feeling of coming home, the idea that there'll be a safe pair of hands, someone who gets us, someone who understands us. That's how Solskjaer's ended up at Manchester United when they had to break glass. That's how Lampard's ended up at Chelsea. It'll be really, really difficult, I think, whenever Klopp goes for Liverpool to resist any psychological pull around Steven Gerrard. Oh, we're going to talk about my favourite subject, aren't we? Nostalgia and the damage that it does. It is a seductive liar, nostalgia. It fools you to thinking that once... One thing was as it was and it was great. And if we could just get back to that thing, that everything would be great again. Because your mind makes you forget all of the things about the past that were not so great. And so we constantly, you know, feel like we want to come home to somebody or we want something to come back that once was. And actually, you know, I look at I look at this, you know, this list, Solskjaer to United, Lampard to Chelsea and the potential of Gerrard to Liverpool I think we've we've got to ask ourselves whether we really want to relive the early noughties. Is that is that really what we think the future of football is like? I mean, only slightly controversial here, purposefully, but like there's loads of reasons why those individuals or at least the culture at that time was not better than it is now. And the idea of going home or returning to the past, we shouldn't just think that that's the right thing to do because it feels all warm and fuzzy. 
It's it's one where the feeling of all warm and fuzzy, it's when you go through, there are actually very, very few examples in football of legacy building, Sanj. I think at Liverpool, we've been really fortunate to have one. I think you can say, for instance, Ferguson, you can make an argument he's the greatest manager in English football history. Uh, others might argue for Bob Paisley. There's other names that might come in. But you can make an argument he's certainly the greatest manager since 1992 in English football history. And he failed miserably at this. He absolutely couldn't have failed, couldn't have failed worse in many senses. And even now you do wonder whether or not Solskjaer is actually a continuation of those failings one way or another for Manchester United. Yeah, it's uh, when you look at Man United, you, you do see echoes of what happened to us, which started back in 1991. And it has arguably taken us, what, 25 years to get ourselves back on our feet and um, we've gone through a succession of managers and projects and sporting directors and coaches and managers and uh, I'm loath to say this but it, all these things are from the top down is is how these things resonate so a lot of Man United fans constantly moan about Ed Woodward don't they uh, as a person who is in charge of the football club but doesn't know anything about football and we don't. I don't know what the people um, at the top of Liverpool are like about football, but I do know they're experienced people in terms of sporting franchises, as they called them in America. So they know how to run um, a sporting club or a sporting franchise, and and that's I think why we're so lucky. So I don't, I don't envisage them making anything, making any kind of rash rash decisions. I, I think it would be interesting with Gerard. He's always talked as a player that he didn't want to come against Liverpool. So when he finally sees that he's done enough at Rangers, where his next move is, uh, whether it's to go to a team where he gets to face Liverpool or not. So I don't know. The the the, the security blanket thing, Ellison. I, I spoke to an Arsenal supporter for another show earlier today, and he was talking about how every summer Arsenal want to buy Arsenal support during the season. Arsenal supporters say the defense isn't good enough. The close season comes, Arsenal want to buy another attacker. The, the supporters want to buy another attacker because their perception of the Arsenal way is Robert Pires, is Bergkamp and Henri, rather than what George Graham did. That the Manchester United way, even while Ferguson was managing, people chanted four four two at him when he changed the shape to say that this is the way we expect you to play. This is what Manchester United are about. We have had the comfort blanket of the Liverpool way. If we can just get back to the Liverpool way, we'll all be all right. This is, you've got to really watch these things, I think, of football clubs. It's, it's, you need constant renewal. Yeah, it drives me at the wall. Like, um, this this idea that there's like an, an, an instinctive thing that actually every, everybody really understands. And it's like these annoying rebels who keep trying to mess with the way that we do things. Um, is uh, is really damaging, I think, to football clubs. Football's changing all the time. Players are physically different. They are, they play the game differently. Um, our opponents are different. Uh, you know, if we think about um, the 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 challenges that we face, be it in Europe or or be it in the Premier League, they're different from what they were when Gerard was playing. Let's be honest. So, I'm not saying no. Stephen Gerrard should never come back to Liverpool, although. I, I constantly worry about this, the, the, the clamour that's going to at some point come for Gerard and, and I worry that it will end badly because of it. But I'm just saying, if Gerard does become our manager one day, it needs to be because he is the person who has the best appreciation of the challenge that we face in the Premier League and in Europe now, not because he was once an absolutely amazing, phenomenal player and all that he was. There's something with around both culture and process, I think, with Klopp. And I think you've seen that, for instance, we lost, there was the loss of Buvac. There's now the fact that Linders is more involved. There's that, there has been almost that little bit of renewal in there as well. But also Klopp himself, we, uh, you know, I'm saying it so often now that it's no longer the case, but there is often too much focus on the hugs and not enough focus on the fact that he is remarkably intelligent and, and, and is obsessed with process, Neil. You do think that that is something that he'll be constantly looking to have, a constant state of challenge, a constant state of, of shifts to ensure that what's around him is as strong as humanly possible so that if he did click out, it may be easier for someone to click in. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you look at, you take Dortmund as, as, a, as an example. It's, I think they're on a third manager since he left. I think I think they had Tuchel and then Bosch, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, maybe they had another, actually, that, a sort of caretaker one. Dummy research, but, um, <laughs> but the idea was that you could you could swap Klopp out and put Tuchel in, and because of because of the, the sporting director structure, because of the scouting structure, because of the behind the scenes 
stuff that it wouldn't be that big a problem. But the problem is that Dortmund and Liverpool are competing in very competitive environments, and any any sort of chink in the armor will be exposed. And you know, it's it's no coincidence that that Dortmund haven't won the league since since Klopp left. They weren't winning it when he left, and they haven't looked well. They looked like winning it this year, and they didn't. They, they, yep. they failed to do it. Um, it's no coincidence that that when Manchester United lost their their totem and when Arsenal have lost their totem, they they they've struggled to to find that sort of um, that level again. You know, United um, a massive example of this. Real Madrid lost lost a, a, a treble winning manager and had to go back and get him. Oh, sorry, a treble Champions League winning manager and then had to go back and get him because it just they just couldn't find the answers they needed to do so. I think Liverpool are in a strong position as a club. They've got key people in key roles at the academy, at the in the the, the recruitment team. You know, the good bridge between the ownership and the, and the, and the, the football side of things. CEO, you know, well well um, ensconced in the in the business world as well. So you know, they've got they've got a lot of ten poles down. But I still think. Without Jurgen Klopp, I don't just think Liverpool. I don't think Liverpool are European champions this year with with those ten poles. They have to need the the main one, which is the manager. Just to come sort of come back with you on that. The, the, firstly, there's the idea that the manager creates the weather to such an extent, and, and at Liverpool, that's probably even magnified even more. You know the way in which we are. But is there also a thing where effectively we may all need to accept the at least semi cyclical nature of the game that y- y- there are going to be ups and downs, and there may even be ups and downs. Whilst Klopp remains Liverpool manager from this from this point onwards, I don't think there necessarily will be this season. But you know, what one of the reasons why Ferguson is as 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 praised as he is is he effectively built one and a half minimum, maybe even two teams before he won his first title. Then yeah. there's there's a couple of periods in the long run where he you know he wins nothing. I don't think from 04 to 06 as an example, but goes away, rebuilds and changes and renews on his own terms. Yeah, it's unusual that 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 sort of length of of spell. And also length of success, isn't it? You know, what what club in in Europe has consistently let's say let's say won two league titles in four seasons or one in two? What what club in Europe has done that? Bayern Munich probably in the last thirty years. Juventus now. Juventus Juventus in that era. PSG are obviously going to be in that era because of because of other reasons. But even they even they've managed to 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 balls it up on occasion and, and probably haven't won what they need to. So the idea that you can build a legacy which involves winning the league and the Champions League or, or getting close to it every year. It, it's it's ideal ideology, but it's it's not it's not particularly realistic. But I think Liverpool, as I say, off the pitch now are in a, are in a position of real strength, and it would be a shame it'd be a shame to not see them capitalise on that. A with Klopp and B post Klopp, it, you know, it can't be allowed to become an excuse that it gets close to the end of the Klopp reign and people say, oh, people, you know, they've taken their eye off the ball because of this or. Then they spend two years licking their wounds and, and in transition and then rebuilding. I mean, a lot of this comes down to money, I think. So, um, unsurprisingly, in the modern game. Yeah. But, like, you know, if you look at like Chelsea, um, where the money flooded in and now it's all under question, and yeah. like they never. They never use the money to build the structure, like the analogy of the temples. They, they never use the money to build a proper structure that would survive no matter what happened, yeah. no matter the vagaries of the geopolitics. And like PSG are sort of, you know, I wonder if they're maybe, you know, it's a question that could be asked if they're getting into a similar situation. Um, whereas what what happens with those clubs where they're really able to build a structure to be a truly successful team is that they use the money to invest in things that will be there. Like they're working three seasons ahead, basically. Yeah. City is a good example of that. Yeah, exactly. And and um, that's where I think the confidence in and around Liverpool comes from, that that people see the kind of financial structure being put, put in in the right way. I think absurdly this summer of uh, no transfers, sort of like, or minimal transfers anyway, reinforces that sense that like, it's not the one window that we care about. It's like a whole series of windows across a whole series of um, uh, seasons. You know, as Klopp says, like there is a plan um, and we are delivering the plan. The The thing that I think is, the thing that I guess is frustrating is that like f- over the last couple of seasons, it's felt like like we've still been in the, in the build period 
and and everybody's just Described. desperate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's just everybody's desperate to just get to the get to the peak and does stuff, you know, unforeseen events get in the way, be it injuries, um, be it, you know, internal politics that we can't possibly see or understand. Who knows? But all of the outside evidence anyway is that 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 strong structure is what the money is being used for, not just a kind of let's just buy the league attitude, which obviously some clubs, it could be argued, may have taken. I think that the the one thing about that structure, I think people like Klopp and before him someone like Ferguson, they define your structure. They're, They're people who are have these this bizarre role which I don't think exists that meant that many clubs to be the manager most places have a sporting coach yeah. a sporting director and a coach and whether once he does his time in 2022 whether we look for someone who can replace him because they're so rare and I think the owners FSG knew that it was really rare and they saw him they identified him years ago before he became our manager whether they think there's anyone out there who could yeah. do that role because it's that, that's the issue that Arsenal have that's the issue that Man United have there's, there's so few people out there who can who can replace Ferguson or Wenger and there will be so few people who could replace Klopp when he decides to walk away and that's why Gerrard's already been talked of because of course he has that kind of that awe about him that kind of thing which is why Lampard could be a success at Chelsea because he has that awe around that place I'm sure he knows quite a few of the people who still work there and he's one of the few people who will go there and people won't question him because they know that he did it as a player and he was arguably their best player ever. OK, uh, thank you very much to Sanja, Alison and to Neil. Uh, in a minute or two, you're going to hear Rebecca Knight on Lampard. Uh, then we've got David Mooney coming up on Manchester City being relatively quiet until this recent little explosion and what he thinks is going to happen next. Uh, we're then going to have a chat about women's football and then we're going to move on back in the room with Sanja, with Alison and with Neil to talk about football, the social media and the sense of community it may or may not be offering. Chelsea have appointed Frank Lampard, and my eternal question is this, is Rebecca Knight happy? She is, she's very happy for now. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's probably the best thing we could have done in this situation. And I think with the transfer ban as well, it's going to give him a bit of a free pass, as, as much as you can ever get as a Chelsea manager. I'm happy, and I feel like it's good for the club. I don't know whether Lampard will be happy in a year's time, but I, I fingers crossed he will. Uh, it's it's one where it's interesting you say that about the transfer ban and the free pass. It does it does sort of it gives him the idea of being able to create a different culture, really, doesn't it? You know, these lads who were on loan have got to come back in. The that's where the, almost Chelsea's transfers and in inverted commas will come from. He's worked with a couple of them already. It's that's what I think it is really interesting. I think it was interesting for whoever was going to get the job. There is a thing, isn't there, where whoever gets it is able to say, "Well, listen, my hands are tired. We're here to develop and we're here to change the culture." Yeah, I think so. And, you know, when you look back and you see where Chelsea have gone wrong in the past, a lot of it is because of the player power. And that all stemmed from Lampard's era. And part of that issue, and I mean, Frank Lampard was never one of those players, but part of that issue was that Abramovich loved that set of players too much. Your Lampard, your Drogba's, your Czechs. And he just bowed to their will all the time. So I feel like if there was ever going to be anybody to come in and get a grace period, it, it's going to be those people. And Czech's already back. You're hearing Trogba's probably going to come and join the coaching staff. Both Coles are there doing their badges. So I feel like it's almost like the next if you will. The fans aren't going to get on Frank Lampard's back either. And it's so abundantly clear that the club has to change direction not even when you just look at money or transfers, but managers. You know, the, if, if you literally think who could Chelsea possibly get after this, it, it's very difficult because you can't just keep going through a manager a year or a manager per 18 months. And that's essentially what they are doing at the moment, which is not sustainable. I mean, it's been sustainable for, for a decade, but eventually that is going to run out. And I think... It's so obvious at the moment that we are a little bit behind the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City, and we don't want to fall into what you know what United are doing and what Arsenal have been doing for the last few years, because that is another step down. And I think if we can, I would say this season people probably would be happy with a top six, top four would be 
amazing. And I think, you know, I don't think if you actually spoke to anybody at the club or anything and they were like, oh, you're going to win the Premier League. Uh, probably not, no. And I don't think that's an expectation. Whereas every other year with a manager, it's, oh, if you don't win the Premier League, you're probably getting the sack, to be honest. I think that the the other thing I want to talk about as well is the, the young players. You've spoken about this to us a lot. That it does it does open up those those lads who are on loan uh, right the way through. There was the two who were at Derby. There's Batshuayi uh, knocking around. There's uh, Tammy Abraham knocking around. That he's 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 he's. It's easy for him, isn't it, to get a lot of goodwill quite early. I think by looking to find ways, Kurt Zuma possibly as well, to get people reintegrated into the squad. Yeah, I've said it for years. I actually think if you pulled some of those players back and gave them proper chances at the club, I think you could make a really decent start in 11, even if you pretended we didn't have any other players. I think you could make a good side. And then when you add the other players that we've got, and yes, of course, Liz Nazard isn't you know the ideal situation, but I feel like, again, that's going to be almost a blessing in disguise in terms of the expectations for the season and what we are kind of what people are putting the pressure on for. I think now people like they've lost their star players, they're in a transfer, but they've got this manager who knows the club inside out, knows the fans, knows the players inside out coming in. And, you know, don't forget Jody Morris will probably be, you know, front and centre as well. And he was the one that did so well with these same kids that couldn't get a look in. So I, I think that would be very smart on Lampard's kind of point of view and I think I think that's what the club want as well because you can't keep doing what we've been doing and you know with all the will in the world I completely understand why people like Conte or Sari couldn't really touch the kids with the barge ball because they knew they were getting sacked if they didn't have you know a ridiculously successful season whereas I think Lampard knows there's a slightly different parameter for success now or it seems that way. If if it's not going to be like that, then we may as well just press delete on the club because we are at the end of the road with the other stuff now, I think, with the hiring and firing. So I think there are, I'd, I'd like to see if we had this conversation this time next year, we're talking about three, at least three of those players really breaking through and playing proper minutes as well next season. And I'm, I'm not even counting people like Hudson Adoy or Loftus Cheek there because I'm taking that as given now. Excellent stuff. It's very good to hear Rebecca happy. Let's get back on with the rest of the show. Uh, excited indeed. Uh, let's move ourselves along and uh, and find out what we've got coming next. Neil Atkinson and Andy Heaton here for uh, Red Bear to the Amphorast Partners for 2019. And who's going to go down? Evan. Ha! I honestly, I will speak to them at Red Spurs and get them to lash as a special together uh, on that sort of thing. Uh, Same answer every perfect. year, Neil. Same answer every every year. Every year. Uh, currently forty to one. I'll have a, have a I'll have a dab at that. Uh, forty to one for Everton to go down. I will speak to them at Red Spurs and see if we can pull something together. Can we? Uh, can we have? Can we have the odds on Liverpool to win the European Cup or League and Everton to get relegated or even the treble? <laughs> pull it all together and go from there. Uh, I wanna I wanna grab you on. On what's interesting in terms of the 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 market now for, for for things like getting relegated, so Newcastle are seven to two, which all of a sudden feels like a real runner and rider. It just seems so dismal up there. Listen, you've got to see who the manager is, maybe, and all of that sort of stuff. But it does seem so so miserable all of a sudden. Well, I mean, taking to the fact not only have they lost Rafa, um, they've also lost Iosi Perez and Solomon Rondon's gone back. Because he was only on loan, and you just wonder where the goals are going to come from. You're going to want you. Basically, Newcastle are in this position, and I'll, I'll be getting on that. By the way, Newcastle are in this horrible position where if they start poorly, it can very quickly spiral. Because um, it just you know you start looking at each other, the discipline that they had then goes out the window defensively. Where are the goals going to come from? And you can feel sorry for yourself really quickly, especially when the atmosphere up at St. James's is, is going to be that toxic. The only thing holding, holding that atmosphere from going south for the past two, three seasons has been Rafa. Yeah. Um, almost like, look, we've got experience of this. No, we're going to keep this short, but we had experience of this. We'll support the team. But the when because yeah. Rafa's gone now, Oh yeah, there's yeah. nothing there. There's nothing there to hold. There's no breakers there to hold the hold it back. No, I couldn't agree more. And we did have support uh, experience of it, and it was thoroughly unpleasant. And it does impact upon what happens on the pitch, and it is worth remembering. Other one I like that's got my attention: top four finish. So I'll just I'll, I'll not include us in City. Tottenham four to seven. Chelsea even money, which is interesting. United twenty one to twenty. 
Arsenal, that was very, very 21 to 20, 21 to 20, Arsenal 5 to 4, um, Leicester 20 to 1. Serious. So that, that one, so the Wolves 14s, Everton 16s, Leicester 20 to 1. All of a sudden, the Bayern Perez, as mentioned, yeah. they've got Tielemans lined up uh, for to, to secure that. They'll have had Rodgers over the summer improving them, working with them. It doesn't feel like it. Arsenal are five to four. Leicester are twenty to one. That to me feels like too big a goal. Uh, yeah, yeah. At that price, I mean, look, you're not saying it had happened, but you look up, you look at the the, the the runners and riders you just mentioned there. I mean, Chelsea, anything could happen. Yeah, it's they, a mad one where they could have a really good season out of yeah, nowhere. They, they could come second. They could or, come, yeah, or they could fall away. Uh, you know, no new transfers. Lampard's come in there. Uh, they've lost Ed Nazard. Um, United. Who knows what you're going to get from them? Yeah. Uh, you know, the run Solskjaer had, the new signings, they're not... I mean, to be honest, the mistakes United have made have been buying players who they thought were ready to go straight in, so now they're trying a different tack. But we've kind of seen that work, and there doesn't seem any... Who's signing the players? It's one of the, this committee thing going on. Arsenal. Um, I've had a more stable some of them what I imagined. But yeah. then at the same time, they, they haven't really seemed to progress as much. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it only takes so you've got four, three or four teams there who are in a in a in a in a situation of flux. I'd say there's only us, City and Spurs who are stable, and even then you never know. There's always a curve, but there's always a Mickey somewhere. Yeah. Um. So you'd only need one to have a to have a bit of an off one, or even two, and then it's open season, and we and we've seen the way teams can fall off. Look at Chelsea under uh, under Mourinho in yeah, and in his last season. I think there's something else in terms of it doesn't all it, all it doesn't take much for Leicester to start strongly and two of them to have a bad first twelve they've got games. A good squad. They've got Leicester a really got good a squad. Really good young squad there. Yeah, we like them. Uh, we like them indeed. Listen, uh, thank you very much for this. Thank you very much to Andy. Uh, thank you very much to Red's Bet for partnering with us. Any gambling that you do, do it very very responsibly indeed. Do be gamble aware uh, on these sorts of matters. Uh, we do these segments for those who want to listen to them and not for uh, not for everybody. We appreciate that. But Red's Bet are part of Fans Bet which gives back to fan-related causes and fan-related media. Uh, their their profits, uh, your losses, uh, do go back to those causes. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll move back on. Joined by David Mooney to talk about what Manchester City have been up to so far. And until last night, it had been pretty quiet. I mean, there was the long rumour of the Angelino return, to be honest with you, David. It looked like enormous common sense that at some point this, this summer window, Manchester City were just going to press the button on the fact that they had a buyback clause for this player. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's a weird one because, like on the face of it, it doesn't really make any sense to to assault somebody and, and buy her back. You know, like what eighteen months, two years later. Um, but it's actually quite a shrewd signing, I think, um, because we, we've seen cities. I'm, I'm going to say in inverted commas because you know a team that's that's averaged ninety nine points over two seasons. You can't really say they've got problems, but the but the the issues with uh, with fullbacks they've had. Uh, Mendy's never fit, you know. Delph is uh, is saving Delph. He'll be he'll be great one minute and and not quite great uh, the, the next. Uh, Zinchenko is playing as a fullback, but isn't a fullback. Um, and then you know on the right hand side we've got Kyle Walker and uh, uh, and Danilo looks like he's going to be on his way. So so they've needed to to kind of get the fullbacks right this summer. Um, so bringing Angelino back, he, you know he qualifies as homegrown. He's um, he, he he came through the city academy. So there's, there's, there's all these kind of ticks that go in his favour. And before he left, he also looked like the sort of player that would make it under Pep Guardiola. So there was a lot of fans who were disappointed that he'd left in the first place because it looked like he would be, uh, looked like he'd be a good player for City. Um, so he's been away for a while. He's got a bit more experience. He's done well in his, uh, in his time abroad. And then, so it, it just kind of, it, it, it kind of cements the idea now that City have got this core team that they need. And they just need to add the kind of finishing touches around the outside to keep things fresh. Um, we've, we've talked in the past about, about City having a great team. And last season, you know, they only brought in Mares over the summer. Um, and even then, you look at his involvement throughout the season. It wasn't, they weren't huge throughout the season. Um, so you kind of have to say that, that Guardiola, again, doesn't really need to revolutionise things. You just need to keep things ticking over. And Angelino is, is a good part of that, I think. Is the same going to be true of Rodri? I'm I'm intrigued by this, and it's it's interesting that City have just finally decided just to pay the release clause. There's been a lot of, you know, I think there's been maybe a little bit of horse trading going on behind the scenes, but they've just ended up here paying the release clause and getting the footballer in. Is the, you know, I'm 
There's been links of City going for centre backs, but there's the idea that maybe you might use Fernandinho there. Um, it's it's it, to me, it's all a little. So that way to phrase this, really, there's this idea I think that everyone has that City are constantly sort of spending big. But as you say, there there was only Mares last summer. Do you think this could be City's business done as of today? It could be. Um, I think that I, I, I've got a feeling they'll be looking at uh, another fullback and, and possibly uh, uh, for the right hand side and, uh, and possibly a centre half. But it, it, it does. It really depends on what uh, on what is going to happen with the players like that Guardiola's got at the minute. Obviously, they've lost company for the uh, the centre half position, um, but like you say, it's expected Fernandinho will drop back in there and Rodri will take his place in uh, in, in defensive midfield. Ilkay Gundogan looks like uh, he's going to be signing a new contract, so it looks like he'll be staying for this season. There was the question of if he wasn't going to sign a new contract, do you then sell him this summer and uh, and get a fee for him or let him go for free at the end of the season? Um, so if he signs a new contract, then, then you know his future will no longer be in doubt, and he'll be a he'll, he'll be a central midfielder for City this season. Um, and it, it then hinges on whether Otamendi wants to leave or not, because Otamendi last season was kind of a, a little bit of a victim of circumstance because he played really well in the year before when when City got the hundred points and, and broke all these records. Uh, he, he signed himself a new contract. He, he, he was he was doing really well, and then Laporte and Stones were just fantastic for the first half of this season. And he, he, you know, some men didn't get a look in. So quite rightly, he then turned around and said, "Well, actually, I, I, I just want to play. You know, I'm not, I'm not the youngest anymore. I want to, I want to be playing football. I've had a great time, but I, it's nothing on you. I just, I, I, I want to be playing football." So if he's happy then to to, to stay at City, you've then got your, your centre half situation is is effectively company out for Nandino in. And Rodri comes in in midfield for for Fernandinho. Well, that that you're right could well be that. Um, there's, there's, there's no need to go on messing with uh, with a team that's been doing so well for, for so long. I do think it's interesting to see how much Guardiola wants to to, to kind of change things up. Um, after two seasons of playing the way he has done, he's not going to change his, his philosophy and his style. Um, but he might need to change a, a, a few of the tactical tweaks here and there. Uh, just to just to keep things fresh. I mean, let's be honest. Liverpool aren't going away. You know, a, 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 a good season like last season. Well, a, a, a good season. It was a fantastic season from Liverpool last season. They're going to be doing something similar again. So City have got to be, you know, as good as they were last year to, to, if they're going to go on and, and win the league again. So it, it it makes sense not to upset things too much. Uh, but I, I do think that. Uh, that they that they need to be aware of not letting things stagnate. Is there on the the last season? Mares comes in and Sane is supposedly you know he's being occasionally strongly linked with Bayern Munich. Occasionally, it's getting sort of dismissed. Do you think it's unlikely? Firstly, do you think he's going to stay, Sane? And secondly, do you think that if if even if he does go, that City may well be looking at a return a return in Kevin De Bruyne? They've added Rodri to the middle of the park, and the idea that they could use they could use some of the the, the players they've been using deeper in higher areas. Or do you think that might make him dip in and go and get a top attacking player? Uh, he might do. I think uh, my hunch now is that that Sane will probably stay. Um, I'm, I'm working off no inside information whatsoever, um, but I, I, I just kind of feel if it was going to happen, it, it, it probably would have been forced through a bit earlier than now. Um, he, the rumor was that Sane was uh, was uncomfortable about going back to Germany over the the amount of scrutiny he'd be under. Uh, I've got a friend who uh, who works on the, the the podcast with us, Dan Burke, who works over in Germany, um, and I, I quite often ask him what the attitude is over there, and he says it, it, it's really weird because everybody, when when the World Cup came around in 2018, everybody in England was shocked that that Sane wasn't uh, picked for the Germany squad, and he said that the mood in Germany was just very blasé about it, and it was like, well, yeah, of course he wasn't because he doesn't work hard enough or he doesn't do this enough or. And it, it, it just feels like the like he's worried, Sane's worried that the pressure he'd be under in Germany would be so much more. Um, I think the flip side of that is I think it's clear that him and Guardiola don't really have the best of relationships. They're, 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 it feels like quite a catchy relationship. And I, I, what I'd always say is what you should do there is, and as, as someone who loves Sane's uh, input for City, uh, I would say this, um, but I think he needs to take a leaf out of Aguero's book. Um, I don't think Aguero and Guardiola would get on, uh, but they work together brilliantly. And I think it was it was obvious in, in Guardiola's first season, him and Aguero were never going to see eye to eye. Um, but they, they, they both kind of put it behind them and, and Aguero does what Guardiola, Guardiola wants him to do. 
and it just works perfectly for the team. And I, I, I think if the number of times that Guardiola has questioned Sane's attitude, um, I think it's no no coincidence that Sane has then gone on and had these bursts where he's done really well. Uh, but he, it, it shouldn't need him being left out of the team for for, for two months to get those bursts. Um, so I think it'd be, it'd be it'd be interesting to see how they deal with each other in the in the coming season. But my my hunch is that that Sane will still be here next year. Um, last little thing is the when, for instance, at Liverpool supporters were talking at the minute a lot about wanting to strengthen Liverpool, and one of the things you end up saying is that as you get better and better, it, the the upsetting of the apple card slash the number of players the pool that you're able to sort of shop from becomes an issue and it's interesting you said before about you got Mares in last summer and he was obviously very useful but it doesn't feel as though he made a profound difference in the grand scheme of things but it is always good to have another attacking option is that a similar sort of problem now that City find themselves in especially if Guardiola may be thinking it might be his last season or doesn't want to doesn't want to absolutely rock the, rock any boat and you know he's not necessarily planning for three years time if you know what I mean do you think that that's it's that that attitude can sort of prevail, and it can become difficult for clubs who are, for instance, averaging ninety nine points across the course of two seasons. Yeah, I think uh, my, my, my word of advice for Liverpool fans would be uh, look at how your team played last season. Um, there's there's absolutely no reason to to come in and add six or seven uh, you know high profile signings to that squad uh, because it, it won the Champions League and it, it, it ran City extremely close in the Premier League with. You know, a record-breaking points tally for second place. So it's clearly a very, very good team. Um, what it, what it possibly needs is a little bit of, of strength in. Uh, I was going to say strength in depth, but that's not necessarily true because you've got you, you, you've got returning injured players as well that 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 didn't play for for large spells yeah. last season. So there's there's a lot to be said for um, just getting a core group of players and, and getting them play playing well together. Uh, Guardiola has done that at City, and uh, I, 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 I really don't know how he views the future because his his opinion of uh, of his life. Whenever whenever you hear him talk about about his future in press conferences, he's very non-committal, and I kind of get the the impression that's because he he, he likes to see out his contract and then that's it. He, he moves on somewhere else. City's the first club. I mean, he's only had three clubs. I, I grant you that, but City's the first club where he's he's extended a contract that he's had. Um, if not last season would have been the end of it and we'd be starting the new season now with a new manager um, so I, I don't know I don't know what his future is at City City have put absolutely everything in place to keep him as long as they possibly can have him um, they've got his mates in the boardroom they've got you know, everything is, is built to what he wants and, 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 offer, and allows him the best uh, kind of environment to work in Um they're not going to want to, to, to kind of let go of him quickly. And he he always says in press conferences, you know, uh, David Silva, Sergio Aguero, Vincent Kumpi, these players leave when they call time on their City career. I don't do it. And I get the impression the club does the same with him. He's City manager until he says otherwise. Um, and I think whether or not he's building for the future, I think that will tell us a lot about his intentions for the future. Uh, we've never had to. We, he's never had to revolutionise a team. Once he's got it winning, he's he's, uh, he's never had to to kind of break it apart and rebuild it. Mm. Maybe City's the first club he does that. I don't know. Um, but if this if this is to be his, uh, I think what's his what's the what's the contract situation? I think he's got two years left. Uh, if he is to, to just see out his contract, uh, I don't see any reason for him to do that. They've got they've got young players. They've got a great squad. Uh, it'll it'll probably just need a little bit of seasoning on the uh, on the meal rather than uh, rather than a whole fresh batch of ingredients. Let's say. Excellent stuff. Really enjoyed the metaphor at the end. Uh, thank you very much <laughs> to David uh, for this sort of stuff. We'll be going to do more and more of these previews uh, if you don't subscribe to the Anfield Wrap. Uh, this one obviously on the weekend, but on uh, the uh, Friday show previews coming through uh, every Thursday from now until the start of the season, speaking to people at other clubs about what they're up to and how they see the season going. We'll probably get David on again before the Community Shield catch up on how City's pre-season has gone. Uh, let's move ourselves along. Back with Alison uh, to talk about... I don't want to just talk about the Women's World Cup because I think it's it's a broader conversation because one of the things that I took from paying attention to what was going on around the Women's World Cup, Alison, was the number of, of women who seem to have been inspired across the last two, three, four years to to play play the game for the first time, women and girls. But it, it is women as well as girls. I think we often, when we discuss representation, we often focus understandably on younger people, but people who are in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s can be, can be inspired to make changes by 
things such as the Women's World or Cup. Or their 60s or their 70s. Um, so, I mean, I could talk for ages and ages and ages about this, but basically there's 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 two factors going on. There's the fact that women were banned by the FA for playing football for 50 years, which is a fact that cannot be repeated enough. And at the time when women were banned in 1923, banned for the first time, um, women's football was becoming more popular than men's football. So 55,000 people watched a team from St Helens play a team from Preston. And that was the point at which the FA were like, hang on a minute. And they made all kinds of arguments, you know, health and all the rest of it. And they banned women from playing. And so that the legacy of the 50-year ban is this massive hangover that like women, the women's game is now recovering from. So there's a whole generation of women who lived with the consequences of that ban. So if you were, if you grew up in the 60s or 70s, still under the shadow of that, you missed your chance. And so those women now might be in their in their 50s and they might see a walk-in football session or a or an inclusive football session and think that hang on a minute, something that I thought for my whole life was impossible is now possible. And I play football with the Wirral Valkyries um, on on a Thursday night. And one of our players is, you know, I'm not going to say how old she is, but she is senior in years. And she plays with a dedication that matches all of us. But but why and why shouldn't she? At Tranmere Rovers, they have a whole set of inclusive football sessions, uh, football for people with disabilities, um, football for older men and older women walking football. And the, the people who are getting involved are doing it with a passion and a commitment because it may be that this is just something that they thought was off the agenda for them and they've suddenly realised it is not off the agenda the other factor is obviously health and making sure that people are able to take care of themselves. So we can't just say this is about the next generation and it being different for the next generation because, frankly, we've got an ageing population in the UK and we need everybody to be mobile and enjoying life. And football has incredible power to make that real. You went over to the to the Women's World Cup twice um, and <clears throat> watched games. There's, there's something where I think again, to sort of talk about representation and where this becomes quite something that's more profound and maybe something that's missed by, by by a huge number of men who get to grow up with an unbelievable number of male sporting role models is that ultimately women's sports, with the exception of, for instance, Wimbledon, which is going on at the moment, but that's once, it, well, you know, it's it's two weeks, what, two weeks in the year. There really aren't that many examples of, of, of women's sports being placed front and centre on BBC One of an evening. Uh, and that is something which you got to see close I mean- up. At the Olympics as well, I would say, is really yeah. good. Um, the the We've been having this argument for it feels like my whole life about whether the the coverage would follow the quality or whether the quality would be driven by the coverage. Like, And at some point, like someone in the BBC just had to take a decision and just put it on the telly. And, and we're getting there sort of now. It feels like this World Cup has been a tipping point. So uh, 11 million people watched um, us unfortunately get beaten by the Americans. Um, 7.6 million people watched the uh, quarterfinals. And like the reality is that's way more people than watch Glastonbury and, you know, love Glastonbury, though. I'm sure everybody does undoubtedly. Like the BBC put a massive amount of effort into that. And actually many many more uh, people are are watching women's football so there's a big question now right which is which is the 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 professional game the average wage for a woman in the professional game is 27,000 pounds that is less than the median wage for uh, the average british person um it's obviously quite a lot less than the men get paid um to make a wild understatement so that's that's got to be fixed um, we we cannot have this situation. We obviously will continue to lose players um, from the UK, but but much much more importantly than that, in my opinion, like there are women in the elite game now who who are just absolutely amazing sports people, and and I cannot believe that that this won't continue to be something that people want to watch and to pay to see. The the next move almost on this, the, the finals this weekend, the next move on this is is the, the, the Women's Super League. And that remains something which is 
feels a little tricky to to engage with for a lot of people from the outside that you know maybe the idea of how it's televised how it's broadcast might might get closer and closer to the conversation there's the the sponsorship that started from from this season as well it's one where I think that's the the next sort of challenge. The 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 the, the project around the England women's team has been broadly speaking successful uh, up to this point. The next challenge is how how do we convert that into the club game? Yes, yeah, so it is it is more it is more tricky as well. So the FA sort of are in are in charge of women's football in a way that they're just not in charge of of the men's game. So you know the Premier League at the elite level is sort of. Um, in charge in that sense although you know obviously there's there's other actors the football league and blah 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 but like the FA is just in charge of women's football so they have a lot of big calls to make over over the next year um in internally Baroness Sue Campbell who is in charge of women's football who's an amazing human who you know if she wasn't already like didn't already have honours and was a Baroness ought to be made one immediately but she is um and she has done really well at, at corralling together resources of the FA right across the Football Association to work on the women's game. Um, but it, the women's game being integrated in the FA in that in that way also gives us a challenge in that like every little bit of resource that is expended on the women's game is not then expended on, on the men's game. You know, and I, I no doubt we'll get all of the, the social media chat back on this point, but I guess there is a basic question of fairness here that that the FA has spent so much time and attention over the years um, on on the men's game and not on the women's game. And it's still at this stage when we've absolutely conclusively proved that there's no barrier of interest or there's no barrier of, of quality. Now the women's game is still kind of having to battle internally for attention and resources. So I would, I would. My question to the FA is just always like, I, and nobody wants to undermine the the grassroots game for men or women or anything else. But is it not time to do a bit more to 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 get the women's elite game where it should be? On the grassroots game, the idea of people being inspired and taking it on. You say yourself, you discussed it earlier on, there's lots of opportunities around Merseyside for, for anyone who's been inspired who hasn't necessarily played the game before. To- if you've never kicked a ball, I would say just give it a try because I'd, I'd always watched, but I'd never really had the opportunity to play. Not very much anyway. My sister played a bit in different teams um, just because it happened. She happened to have that opportunity, but I never have after being banned at primary school. And never thought that aged 35, 36, that I would suddenly do that. And it's all due to a woman called Cathy, who is my absolutely amazing coach and who just decided to start a team for women who'd never played. And that's going on all over Merseyside. So just get involved. Excellent stuff. Uh, We will move over and have a chat about social media footballers and community. We're supported once again by Harry's. Uh, Harry's have been a supporter of podcasts, not just this one, but many podcasts across the last fair few years with their razor uh, product. It's been a product that I've used. Uh, it is indeed a very smooth shave, uh, and I very much enjoy the gel that you get as part of uh, signing up for the Harry's experience. Um, the way in which they went about the business, Jeff and Harry, uh, was that they decided to sort it out by buying their own factory, uh, selling directly over the internet, uh, and their amazing quality blades. Blades are half the price of the leading factory blade brand um you get this rich uh, lather and shave gel which is aloe vera which i always praise it really is the best shave gel i've ever used uh, also you get the uh, weighted ergonomic handle and these five precision engineered blades um just to sort of say that companies like harry's i mean there's a few of them around and we only really go with ones where we've had the experience uh, one way or another uh, things that we've used or toyed with and all that sort of thing or looked at in terms of one of the products we've had and it is important to the sort of podcast community to be honest with you these people and the work that they've done in terms of being able to support a number of different podcasts and i would sort of like to take the opportunity as i think harry's are beginning to grow to to thank them a little bit um it is good of them to have done that and you know hopefully everyone's got to sort of grow together both the podcast marketplace and also uh, harry's throughout all of this that sort of stuff does matter uh, we want you if you are looking for a reason to to get it if you've got a reason to get a new razor and you want to try something new do go to harrys.com forward slash anfield harrys.com forward slash anfield uh, if you do that today uh, you'll be able to claim your trial set for three pounds 95 it will get delivered to your door uh, through your door uh, so it's harrys.com forward slash anfield all excellent stuff there throughout uh, back with Sanj Neil and with Alison um it was, I would, 
chatting away this morning and one of the things that occurred to me was football and social media and how it's changed and become quite a different place and Sanj, when it all first kicked off, the social, uh, there was lots of examples of footballers getting embroiled in controversies, there was not maybe understanding how to use it, and it was generally seen, I remember doing shows, I remember having conversations where it was seen as, this is going to be really bad for footballers, it's going to be really bad for the game. That was the pervasive sort of reality around 2012-2013. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm not sure when it all changed, became slightly more mature, but I think this past season we've just had Sterling's uh, that tweet. I can't even remember yeah. the exact, but that, I think that was that. That was the moment where it was almost as if to, to say they turned it around and said, "Look, we can in fact use this as an instrument for change. You can monitor my lifestyle and blah blah blah. But actually, I can give something back. I can make you think." Um, uh, I work with quite a few people who have reacted to that and use it as a form of their social media game, because. When, when Twitter started, I personally was all over it. And then I started having conversations with people that I've never met and will never meet. And they got slightly out of hand. I'm thinking, do you know what? I don't fancy this. But if you're a footballer and you have to do this on a daily basis, it must be absolutely horrendous. Um, so it, the good that social media comes out, it, it, it's, you know, I, I like the, the fact that footballers can interact and they, they some do interact. Um, but then you're left with conversations about someone like Jesse Lingard and yeah. you're wondering, has that worked out well for him? Uh, there was a, a tweet the other day from a colleague of mine, Hugh Woosencroft, uh, who works quite significantly in the uh, BAME um, sphere, I'll just put it called sphere. And he was saying, is it interesting that Jesse Lingard gets bombarded with what he posted? And then there was... Uh, an Instagram, Twitter post from Declan Rice yeah. and Mason Mount on their holiday, and he was saying no one gave them any grief. So it, it's always making us think and question ourselves now, which is certainly a, a huge advance from where it was back in 2013, 14. It, I, sorry, I think one of the big changes in terms of avoiding the controversy and being a, they're better advised, and and they've got there's, there's companies set up that, that handle social media for footballers. I know Neil Mellor, for example, former Liverpool striker, is involved in one that he he, he looks after. Well, his his company looks after Twitter and Instagram for footballers, and they do it in a very inclusive way where they have to have approval for every post. And essentially, the footballer can't post, you know, go rogue if you like. They, yeah. they, they always hand over the keys to their their Twitter account because you've seen it always. It always used to baffle me. I say, how can this football be so stupid to tweet that to someone or to 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 put that on Instagram? But but really, you think about it. How, how many how many people make hot headed decisions in in everyday life? You know, God, God, you know, I played football last night. I nearly, you know, I, I nearly got booked for for dissent with the referee when it's just a friendly game of football. <laughs> but you know that happens in in your life, and it, it's easy to see. You could be sitting on a coach home from an away game, and someone's calling you this and that and saying this, and you think, no, I'm going to reply to it. You know, you saw. I saw um, Nottingham Forest player replying, Guardiola replying to Daniel Taylor recently. Yeah, on a piece. Um, where it, it said that he, he'd refused to warm, do a warm down after a game at Ipswich, and he replied this sort of wishy washy message, and it's it just made him look bad. It made it, it didn't deny the story. It didn't it didn't produce any evidence against it, and it just made him look bad. And you thought, you know, if that if someone had got hold of Adelaide Guardiola before he'd sent that, they'd go, don't send that message. Just leave it, leave it be. You well, know this and that. But I think more and more companies and big footballers especially are getting that kind of advice there's the advice and also there is and it could be through the advice but I do think there is more and more leave it be and that's one of the reasons why the footballers are getting to curate their own message yeah okay so I'm gonna like just put to one side the whole social media and the way that is used to threaten and bully and I have like no doubt that there will be footballers out there especially given the race context that you mentioned uh Sanj that there'll be footballers who are dealing with some really really actually threatening and risky stuff so we've just got to acknowledge that because it hap- it is a thing um so that can be actually quite scary to deal with so frankly i feel really sorry for them if they are having to deal with that um i think the other side of it though the kind of like less like sc- genuinely scary side of it is that um you can you can tell like a, a really interesting story and i think that 
if you know, if I'm much more into Instagram. Being honest, I like I like the visual side of it more than the like Twitter, just like let's have verbal, throw verbal rocks at each other, like. But is you can you can like just put stuff on there about your holidays, like and a lot of footballers do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you see you see some different images, and I think Mo Salah's. Instagram feed is really interesting and I don't know who's advising him or who's curating that for him or with him or whatever but the simplicity of it is tells a story about the man I think in some way that 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 he is obviously very well advised um, given all of the stuff that he has to deal with politically as well as just being the world's greatest footballer um, uh, I'm going to go with that Um He's champion of the Don't tweet well, that. So, yeah. <laughs> don't tweet that. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't want to go into Messi Ronaldo Twitter. It's awful. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I've enough Messi Twitter. Anyway, so um, so I think that the visual image of him is so simple that is used. It it communicates something about his personality that is really lovely. Um, you sort of compare that as well with with the the Instagram and the video around the the. Um, European Cup win and like the genuine sense of humour with which a lot of the Liverpool players communicated how they were feeling about it that was quite really quite impressive and whilst I think you're right Neil like obviously there's a lot of good advice here going on and a lot of lessons learned my goodness how there have been some lessons learned but but also there must be something about them that they get they get the nature of the people they're trying to communicate with mm. because you can't fake a group of players being that funny, it would be yeah. quite hard to generate that if they weren't actually, if they didn't get it, but, but if they I didn't th- get the people they were trying I think to the advice would communicate be, with. Would be that would probably be on a player's WhatsApp group, that kind of stuff. So it'd be Andy Robertson getting soaked or getting taken apart. But it'll be someone saying, "Put that on Instagram. Yeah. Put that that. Don't share that with the world." So that, there's a know. private. There's almost like a set of private feeds where yeah. every now and again someone might say, "Put that out." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or James. You know, James Milner, for example. Probably, the, probably the. The, the breakout star of social media oh, in the last yes. couple of years, you know, in that sense. And, the, you know, I, I imagine that James Milner sending that to his, his mates, saying, just found a lookalike for Andy Robertson here, you know, this and that. And someone going, that would be funny. You know, if you, if you tweeted that, you get loads of people thinking that was really funny. And then, and then okay, so it just, it, it morphs but into... into in a, order. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it morphs into... Private life into public. Well, that's you're a really good example of this because you're you're. I think you got the best tweet ever, uh, which was when your house was on fire and some lad said you just tweeted just got back my house was on fire and some lad came back and said uh, what do you think of the Suarez quote, mate? Yeah. And you just said I'm, I'm a bit busy, mate. Yeah, because it was it, you. And the reason why it was something pointed in that's the Milner thing, isn't it? That what it actually does is it allows to showcase the players. One of the reasons why I think that's so funny is I can just imagine you saying it. Yeah. I could just like if the lad had said stood next to you in the street, you'd have just looked at him, and gone, I'm a bit busy, mate. To be yeah. honest. And that is, but that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? The idea of being able to amplify that a little bit more. And maybe you write about the WhatsApp groups, and maybe you write about the friendship circles, saying, "Do that, put that one out." Yeah. Like almost the advice isn't it even can... necessarily formal; it could be informal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's my biggest ever regret on Twitter ever. Why? Because I, I think it's the worst tweet I've ever sent. It's the one tweet I wish <laughs> really? could, could be killed because it makes me look a tit. <laughs> it doesn't. It, doesn't it makes me you look, look like you, and you're it on a look, tit. I, well, I think it makes me look. It makes me look stupid because hey. You're not that busy, are you? Because you've replied to, a, to some fella on Twitter. I was not bothered about Lewis Suarez's quotes at the time, to be perfectly honest. You know, I can't. I, I did not know this. Go on. But I also that lad. That like he gets still gets it now. Or does he still get grief? Does the lad? Oh, he's he's not, the lad you know, grief. And actually, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean. So, actually, about three or four other people did did the same tweet and got very similar replies, including one like, "I'm not bothered," uh, but. That one just took off and became like a thing. And I, I think, I'm sure at one stage he had to go private with his tweets because he was getting in on a force. That will I'm just on the dark side as of much as, as much as I think, you know, come on, mate, don't be sending that. I, I do also think it wasn't that, but, you know, it wasn't like he wasn't saying, ha ha, I'm glad your house is on fire. No, 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 no. This and that. So I think one, one reply was worse, actually said, um, no one cares about your house being on fire. Liverpool's is on fire with Lewis Suarez. <laughs> and, and I remember that. So, so that that one probably deserved to blow up if you want to if you want to take the uh, the analogy on. But it, um, I just, that's that one. That's the one I get reminded. I mean, I get 
reminded in person of that one. Sorry, I feel pretty, pretty much bad now. I feel bad about the agenda. Pretty much every time I go out for a, for a drink, I get someone going, like, "Oh, you on LSU TV? <laughs> You're the one who done it." Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's it become like um, come like a little Britain sort of catchphrase. <laughs> do it. Go on, do the do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, but um, yeah. Okay, that's what it is. I just wonder how many people here start a tweet, start writing a tweet. And then decide they don't want to post it because they can see all the implications. Every time I write, I, no, yeah. I, every time I write an opinionated tweet, yeah. you notice. I don't. Not that anyone would forensically study mine, yeah. but most of my non-link or work-related tweets would just be what a goal or what a yeah. what an innings or what a, whatever because yeah. it's just you can't really argue with that. That's, that's, that's <laughs> fact. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go. Oh, Josh Butler is now the best player in cricket because I can't be bothered with the. Just, are you for real? Are you you know what? What are you watching and that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah. I had to delete so many tweets before before tweeting them. Yeah, because my my landmark moment was about eight or nine years ago. I posted something about Stan Collymore. I'm not going to say what it is or was, but someone from say Canuck started sending me really abusive messages. I'm thinking it's not worth it, and that yeah. was it. And I've basically not posted anything of any opinion since. Yeah. Anything I do now. It's post links to books that I've written. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not enough Canuck chat these days. Remember Canuck was a buzz the when everyone's lips mid nineties about whether or not Stan should commute. Fog in, <laughs> fog in the tunnel. Everyone had a, everyone had a view on whether or not Stan yeah, should yeah, commute, well. and that is maybe a thing to remember that in nineteen ninety six we all had a view on whether or not Stan Collymore should commute, is, commute from Canuck. Which is my other issue about social media at the moment, and Alex Oxley Chamberlain wearing that shirt from nineteen ninety six. Like, what's what is the message he's trying to communicate? I'm really worried about this. Just loves Robbie. Right, I mean, okay, but like, you know, we do not want to aspire to nineteen ninety six. My point about nostalgia applies. Indeed, uh, I honestly can't believe that I've remembered Stan Collymore's commute as well. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Neil Jones, Dallas McGovern, to Sanj, Shetty, and to everybody else we've had on through this weekend. I hope you've enjoyed it very, very much indeed, uh, and do take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network.